This is On Your Radar, a podcast series produced at WGN Radio with the clinical staff, doctors, and folks from Rosecrans. I'm John Williams. The title of this podcast is You Got Help, Now What? And with us today are John Tomino, who is Rosecrans's unit coordinator for residential services, and Shelley Dutch is on a phone line, the founding director of Connections Counseling. She's a therapist. She is also a person who herself is in recovery. Shelley, on the phone, how are you today, Shelley? I'm great. And John, uh, welcome to the studio. Nice to talk to you again. Very nice talking to you too, John. Last you and I met, John, we were talking about teens And I don't remember where it was in the progress of the pandemic, but I know a lot of the conversations we've had with Rosecrans over the last couple of years were along the lines of expect people to be different, teenagers to be different, schools to be different when we come out of the pandemic. And that was prescient because the behavior of kids in schools has been very challenging for adults in the last year. Um, And I think parents are seeing that at home as well. So it's good to have you back and to talk not about that per se this time, but maybe more about what, as we said a moment ago, you got help, now what? Suppose you go into recovery, what is that like? And how rich or happy, how content, say, can a life be on the other side? Um, first, tell us what you do. What's your job at Rosecrans? Sure. So at um, our residential program um, in Rockford, which is I primarily work with our adolescent population. So um, really, my role is to help oversee um, you know all the different programming that takes place at Rosecrans. What types of groups are run? How we structure the day? What type of therapy we're running? You know, working with families, working with outside support, um, so that when our clients do complete treatment, they have a foundation to take home with them. You sound like the general contractor of a building, of a project. (laughs) Make sure everybody's doing their part and that the building is sound and complete when it's done. Absolutely. You know, one of the old sayings is it takes a village to help a person, you know, work through recovery. And every every single person um, who works in in our residential facility accepts that role, whether they're helping keeping our units clean or they're doing the counseling or they're with our clients from, you know, day to day. We all are rallying around the clients to, again, to, to, to prepare them to go home. And Shelly, what's your role at Rosecrans? What do you do? So um, the clinic that I started is in Madison, Wisconsin, and we have been partners with Rosecrans for probably about 30 years now. And we work with intensive outpatient for adolescents as well as young adults and adults. I founded Connections Counseling, and we became part of Rosecrans this last year, which we're really excited about because we have a great model of outpatient treatment. So often when they step down from Rosecrans Residential, many of our clients go, okay, now what? And that's where we come in. I am doing some clinical work. I was the director for many years. I've been in the field well over 40 years but I still am young at heart, and uh, we're really excited working with Rosecrans. We have similar philosophies on it takes a village, and together we recover. So we look at how to keep them engaged in treatment, how to keep them involved in the recovery community, 
how to feel connected to one another. And so it's it's a really wonderful part of their recovery path. I suppose that's really rewarding work then for the two of you, either overseeing the team, as you described, John, to make sure we're all rowing together and that little ship sails off into the night and it, you like its chances. Maybe Maybe you don't like that analogy because you never completely leave them. Maybe they're not on their own. I don't know. I mean, I think you hope that the work that you're doing in our, in a very short period of time, you know, residential historically has been about 30 days. Our adolescent program is up to and over 42 days, um, but it still goes by pretty quick. Four to six weeks is, uh, is a blink of an eye in regards to someone's journey and someone's recovery. I guess, Shelley, then you worry either as a client or as as somebody in John's capacity and your capacity now, you know, one must worry. I hope I hope this works. I hope they feel empowered. I hope we have the tools here. Exactly. And the stepping stone is critical. It's critical that they get in immediately after discharge from residential. The research shows that those folks that are engaged in outpatient treatment for a minimum of a year have the best outcomes. And since relapse is so common, it is vital that they become engaged in the outpatient program. And we have a multitude of services along with Rosecrans's alumni program. We have a mentor program where we really focus on uh, service and helping individuals give back to others what they have received in treatment, and I can share more about that later. Well, I wonder, though, how much of this life after, say, a residential program or whatever the form of treatment is that somebody's gone through, how much of the life then is about dealing with the addiction, and how much of it is just having a normal, fun life? You know, is it, a, is it this titanic struggle at all times, or... Just sometimes you not even think about it, Shelley. How, how, how do you all mentally manage that? Well, we believe, and it is a fact, that maybe 10% of the problem is our drinking and 90% is our thinking, and, and same with drugs. Therefore, it is a lifetime process. It's not something that gets fixed, and yet the goal is to have balance in one's life. Therefore, getting involved with other peers and teaching them how to have fun sober is a critical piece of this journey. Um, we have activities four or five times a week where all ages from teens to adults can engage in um, taking a hike, going to the dog park, bonfires, pizza night, game night, movie night. We have activities that help them connect with one another. And I know the alumni program at Rosecrans has that as well as our uh, mentor program, because if it's not fun, then why stay sober? And one of the concepts we talk about is dry versus sober. And if you're dry, you're miserable and depressed and most likely will go back to using and if you're sober, you're on a recovery path where you're connecting with others. So it's, it's really critical to help people engage in 
you know, some kind of, of program that helps them uh, learn to deal with life on life's terms and have fun as well as cope with challenges. John, I've never heard those two words, dry and sober, distinguished that way. I think to a lot of us, they're synonyms, but Shelley makes a good point, doesn't she? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think one of the, you know, kind of to Shelley's point when she was talking about, one of the things that we talk so much with our clients and the people that we work with is what has your substance abuse, what is addiction, um, I don't want to say taken away, because hopefully we're working towards right rebuilding that life and getting you know some of those um, pieces of our life back and in many cases adding many more but how has substance use really impacted um uh, you know our ability to have those fulfilling things you know working with adolescents oftentimes i talk with them about really how much time was your use you you know were you using during during your addiction and not just being under the influence but the time of waking up and you know having thoughts and cravings to use to seeking use to calling a friend to having to drive two towns over then using and then having to recover from that effect and then hiding it from families that's all day and for i think a lot of us we like to have more than one thing so a lot of those different components of life really starts in residential and as shelly was saying being able to connect someone to whether it's outpatient or community uh, community support groups such as the 12 stops or there's others is vital to their recovery well i'm thinking about the integration too though so if i was going to go to the pizza night or play the golf or have a cup of coffee with people who are recovering or recovered addicts if there's a distinction I I want to also do those things with people who aren't, who that is, who maybe drink, maybe don't, but they're not problem drinkers. So if I go to the pizza night and everybody else is having a beer with their pizza, am I going to be able to enjoy having pizza with those people and not drink? Eventually, John. I think initially we, we tell people it's probably wise to avoid slippery play places, play things, situations that will, you know, just cause you some feelings of self-pity. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're going to go there and feel like, why does everyone else get to have a beer and I don't, then avoid it for a while. But eventually, we really can integrate some normal balance in life. You know, I have a partner that drinks very responsibly and I would never ask him not to. I just won't allow white wine in the house because that's a trigger for me. So we have to be honest about what's hard for us. But eventually you can be a part of society, and, and that's the goal. We don't want people to feel like you have to let go of your life. You just learn to manage it, and you learn to embrace it. And, you know, when you're able to find that balance in life, emotionally, spiritually, hobbies and interests, finding support, when you're able to find that balance, then those things become very meaningful. And again, the drug, the alcohol, what have you, that doesn't become important. Do you find then that people sort of find these uh, recovery touch points differently? Like maybe for you it's golf, maybe for me it's it's a pizza night or trivia or going to the movies or going to hiking or whatever. 
alcohol is not a part of that experience anymore. I guess what I'm wondering is the different paths people take to get there and or the different places that they end up. Um, I don't like golf, and I'm not right. going to, so that's not going to work for me. Right. But I think you make a very interesting point. If the purpose of golf, and for a lot of people, that's also a drinking event. Mm-hmm. And fishing can be the same way, too, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, if that's Everything the, can be that way. <laughs> So I guess we all, though, maybe that's a, almost an interesting mental exercise, guys, is say, drill down, think about these things you do that you're drinking with. Which of them do you really like doing, not because you're drinking, but because you also really like that thing? And if you don't like golf, but you just golf because you're drinking, then you don't have to golf anymore. Right. But, but, <laughs> but find those things that are most appealing to you. Um, which is an interesting, I think, question for a lot of us. Did you go through something like that, Shelley? Absolutely. It's it's so important to start to find out what are your passions. For all those years, our preoccupation with alcohol and drugs kept us from doing things that we were passionate about or even taking risks to try new activities. And I think recovery, since I've been in recovery. I I do road biking. I've gone to 10 countries biking. I've done a hundred mile bike rides. I'm so much healthier physically because of, and, and spiritually, but it's, it's starting to embrace life and trying the things we've never done and finding things that have purpose and the ways to give back and help others. Are there some tools that everybody uses or can use to get to this happier, fuller, richer life? I mean, I think, I mean, I can go from my experience in residential, right? And I think sometimes a lot of people have a mis, uh, a misconception of what residential treatment is. Um, it's just us uh, clients maybe in a room sitting around waiting for a group to start, you know, something like that. But really, it is a all-encompassing of almost like a reboot, you know, to try to develop these some of these core tools or reintroduce people to these core tools. So everything from waking up in the morning and making our bed to eating a healthy breakfast to maybe doing a little exercise to then having maybe a 12-step group or a group specific to mental health concerns or meditation, mindfulness – for when people are, you know, dealing with stress or craving substances, how do we work through those emotions? You know, the the structure of residential treatment is really meant to help, again, reintroduce a, a person to themselves and sometimes teaching them new skills. I do think, at least from, again, in the role that I'm in, you know, that is a core piece for people who are working through uh, recovery. Um, how do we create structure how do we reconnect to some core skills to some some core parts of who we are um to feel good again and life must be easier then or simpler i mean maybe it's not this panic about scoring drugs and then covering it up Um, maybe they don't see it right away but it seems to me as though that would be um a nicer way to live I think it's a more fulfilling and nicer 100%, but definitely more fulfilling Um, being able to have this moment and walk away from it and have it for the rest of our life. You know, a a deep conversation, per se, is the kind of the fulfilling part. Or we're playing canasta, and that was fun playing canasta, and I don't feel guilty about the fact that I was drinking a lot while we were playing Mm -hmm. cards. Uh, Shelley, what were you about to say? Yeah, well, just structure 
structure is very important, and John's right, and residential is a wonderful immersion into learning those life skills again and having that routine. And so John works with the residential. When you take them to the outpatient uh, place, it's a little bit more challenging because they're trying to integrate into their old lives oftentimes. And so our job is to help them embrace recovery, and especially the first year when they're vulnerable and susceptible to, you know, just saying, oh, this is too hard. And, you know, it, it it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to get bored. And, you know, we tell people, you know, those high highs, <clears throat> excuse me, and low lows, don't have to be it's it's okay to just it's okay to not always want that high high to just feel good about Mm -hmm. fulfilling what you need to do for the day whether it's getting up and eating breakfast going to school or work and try to keep it simple at the beginning and not you know not try to do so much you have to make recovery a priority and that's part of what outpatient is is helping them deal with their anger or their fear or not wanting to tell people that oh i'm not going to party anymore and how to normalize it so they feel like they're not alone because i guarantee you whether they're an adolescent or college age or adult if you feel like you're alone, you're going to try to be a part of something, and usually that results in relapse or just becoming depressed. So it's it's critical that we continue those steps you were talking about, which is helping them do social activities, help them you know, feel like they're capable of having a job and sticking with it. Some people that we work with have never stuck with anything. And helping them have the confidence to really accomplish something, Mm -hmm. I would say being in recovery is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, and yet the most fulfilling. And so we... It's our job to help inspire them that life gets better. And that's why we have such a a vast mentor program of all ages so they can give other people hope that, hey, if this sucked, we wouldn't be doing it. Well, I'm thinking of the, and John, you were kind of alluding to this too, just the victory that every day can be then. You know, I did these things. I didn't lapse. I feel good about that. I'm not high. Maybe getting drunk used to be fun, but this is a new kind of positive feeling, and this feels pretty good too. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the important things that we talk a lot about with our clients is is taking a, uh, I call it like an organic win. Right, it's not a chemically induced victory. It's not I'm feeling good because I had to put something into my system. And being able to embrace really all the emotions that come with living a life in recovery and in being, you know, present in life. So with that, you're gonna have good days. You're gonna have days where you're 
anxious or where you're angry or where you might be feeling sad. That's part, that is part of the human experience that we want people to embrace because there's so much more to life than, you know, if someone is struggling with maybe depression and all they feel is depressed and then numb when they're using, there's so much more to that. Um, so being able to take all of those feelings, all of those actions that a person does from day to day in recovery and take it as a victory is a huge piece of the process and, and what we, we want people to take away with when they when they go through a program. And I, I don't know that you ever completely unhinge yourself from your addiction, but it would seem to me like it would also be nice to live a life where your addiction isn't defining you, where it's not foremost on your mind. What am I doing today and am I not going to do drugs or alcohol? Um, I'm that, that that's not foremost on my mind today. I'm going to go to work and and then do something else after work or school or whatever. You know, I I, I would hope that for people. Is that what they're well, able to achieve? Yes, I mean I I believe integrating your life that was the balance part. But you know, emotional recovery um, and developing a spiritual path is is living your best life, but dealing with the ups and downs of everyday life. And although alcohol and drugs are 95% of the time not something I ever even think about, we mustn't get too complacent because that's when we're caught off guard. And so every day, I have almost 15 years only, trying to do this since I was young, Every day I do say, what am I doing for my recovery today? But that part of your life, too, Shelley, is that um, a burdensome part of your life? or uh, would... No, but it's like I'm not going to lie and say I'm out here in San Diego. I'd, I'd love to sit well, like people do, having a glass of wine. I mean, and I have a wedding coming up, and it's... It's not an option for me to use, but it's because I use the tools of recovery that I can stay sober and have fun. You know, I don't know, guys, because I want this segment to be as much about you got help, now what? But we haven't talked about some of those stages of recovery, anger, anxiousness, complacency, peace, etc. I'm kind of imagining the world on the other side of all of that. But what would you want to say, John, you go first, and Shelley, of course, chime in too, about that process um, and maybe how difficult or or not difficult that is. I mean, I think it's pretty common for most people who are either completing a residential program or maybe they're finishing an intensive outpatient program to be experiencing that anxiety, you know, and, and some anger, um, you know, almost at the same time. I use the analogy a lot with our kids that we work with. Uh, sometimes it feels like while in residential, they're playing Pony League baseball. And now, oh, you finished your 40 days. Now we're dropping you off into the major leagues. Go hit a home run. And that can be very overwhelming because when there is residential literally, you know, be being a closed environment or, or intensive outpatient, a very structured environment to then say, okay, now you have to kind of 
work on your own, there can be a lot of fear. There can be a lot of anxiety in regards to that. What if I make the wrong move? You know, what if I accidentally go to the wrong house at a, at a party? Or what if I take the wrong job and everyone there, you know, drinks after work, things like that. So being able to challenge some of those anxiety provoking thoughts and how do I talk myself kind of through that and remind myself, like Shelly was saying, like we've been talking about, what am I doing for myself today? And I wonder too, Shelly, <clears throat> if talking to somebody, just speaking of the tools that you use, if talking to them about the mechanics of it, like do not pick up the glass, you know, do not light the joint, do not literally imbibe, um, <clears throat> whatever you're going through, just physically don't do those things. Uh, I don't know that that's instructive in any way to people. It must be much more complicated than that. Well, and I think that's why we're talking about John eloquently explained that if you don't identify and deal with your feelings and address them, it's it's hard to make those good decisions. And, you know, many people self-medicate using drugs or alcohol because they don't want to feel their feelings. And when when they're abstinent, a lot of things come up and it's not always fun or easy, but it is critical that they start to talk about them and feel safe, have somebody to talk to them about. Um, You know, yeah, I think anger is one of the emotions people experience, but we we also have them write a letter to their drug um, because it is a grief. They're like giving up alcohol when you're 45 or 50 and you've been drinking So they're actually going through a grieving, the stages of grief where they have to say goodbye to that substance. And so we have them write a letter saying goodbye. And then the next letter is, how can I take that emotional energy and start to show up differently for myself and others? How do I, you know really start to care because people are very self-centered when they're drinking or using. And so, so much of recovery is about dealing with life on life's terms. And yeah, if you don't like yourself or you still feel angry or resentful, not picking up that glass or joint or whatever it may be feels really like that's you want that instant gratification so badly so the people that make it and we believe they can are people that take our you know it may be different how they recover but they are usually open to doing things they haven't done before Mm -hmm. and that is really important I wonder if it's instructive, too, to say, imagine what that happy life would be outside of the drugs and alcohol. What would that look like? What would that feel like? Um, and Absolutely. I wonder, like, what did it do for you that you couldn't do for yourself? And that's kind of where we start. And then what do you want it to look like? And how do you get there? I often use a tool or an intervention with some of our clients where I'll kind of do something very similar, where it's tell me what, and I know you we hear this cliche statement, where do you see yourself in five years all the time? But in five years, 
what are the markers that you need to see to justify a lot of the pain and suffering you've gone through? And I have clients write out what that looks like. And then I ask the question, if nothing changed, if you kind of continued on, what would look, life look like in five years? And it seems simple. A lot of clients would say, well, if I just stop using drugs. Yeah, right. That's, that was what I was talking about. Then don't pick up the bottle. But it's, right. it's not that yeah, easy. And, and, but, but I would imagine it's the intersection of those two. So I, it would seem to me as though, well, I can see that mentally. I guess we have to acknowledge that that's still a heavy lift for people, too, to, to, to open that door, to get through there, to make that effort. Very heavy lift. But if nothing changes, nothing changes. And you definitely have to be willing to be uncomfortable some of the time early on yeah was it that difficult for you what was your bottom point or epiphany uh shelly how is it that you got from there to there i will say that the immersion into residential is is so powerful and i went to residential for a month and and that's when i started believing i was a sick person I wasn't a bad person trying to get good. I was a sick person trying to get well. And I started to see that others believed in me because I didn't believe in myself. So sometimes it's just being open to trusting professionals, trusting other people in recovery that, you know, misery is optional. We don't have to stay stuck and be in this constant cycle of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and expecting different results. Describe for me a really good day, maybe one um, as you were just recovering, or maybe it was yesterday, but what's a, what's a bright, good, <laughs> what's a happy day, what's a fun day like for you? What's a successful day like for you, Shelley? Well, well <clears throat> I love it, too. Because I'm really about attitude, um, and I think I early in recovery I would look up and it would be sunny and I would dwell on the, the cloud. And now today it's the simple pleasures. And for me, I have a I'm crazy about my golden retriever. So it's like waking up, taking a shower, having coffee, doing what I'm supposed to do, enjoying my dog, and trying to help people. I do groups, women's groups, and I do individual work, but I get so much out of feeling like I'm making a difference. And it's, it's just different. I'm not a self-centered person like I used to be. Um, but just the simple pleasures. I, I love riding my bike. So a nice, today's a beautiful day. I either, either take a bike ride or a walk and then eat food that makes me feel good, not just binging on junk food all the time. (laughs) And then um, being with my family, watching some Netflix or something. But I think early in recovery, it's simple pleasures. Say you did your income taxes and, oh, crap, I owe $9,000. Or um, the dog dies or the car breaks down or something bad happens. Does that trigger... Um, yes. <laughs> yes, it does. It's it's the reality. And the reality is my mom died during this time and I had a lot of physical issues and my favorite dog died. But you know what? 
we learn that we're not terminally unique and that with the tools of recovery and the skills we learn in treatment and going to meetings, being with other people, that we can cope with life and not be so all or nothing. The three incidences Um, you just described, were you able to get through those? Yes, yes, all of those incidences. I have been sober through very hard things in the last 15 years, yes. John, chime in here. What are you um, thinking as you hear Shelley and I go back and forth? You know, I think it's it's hard to discuss in a podcast, but, you know, when you look at the actual physiological process that takes place of addiction, um, your brain chemistry changes to actually think that whatever the substance is, whether it's marijuana, alcohol, what opiates, what it might be, is what your body needs to survive. You know, and as you and Shelly are talking, you know, the good things, that is part of how we survive, how we feel fulfilled. And those bad things too. You know, when we owe, you know, $9,000 on a debt or, or we're struggling with maybe some family illness, we're the the challenge is how do we work through these issues? How do we continue to survive and feel fulfilled and feel empowered to own our life without using a substance? Do you hear back from people who have gone through Rosecrans saying, and 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 it is that I'm happy, I feel fulfilled. Um, if five percent of my day is worrying about that gray cloud that follows me, and um, are they? as content as they imagined they would be? Are they as happy as they want to be? Does, do, do they yeah, feed back I'm, to you? Go ahead, Shelley, if you like. I'm glad, I'm glad you said uh, content because I think we, we realistically, being happy all the time is just not, yeah. it's, it's not possible. Sure. It's, it's trying to find joy or contentment in things. I would not be doing my job on this podcast or anywhere, and I hope one of your speakers can address the spiritual nature of recovery, because I am not a religious person, but if you are not embracing a spiritual path, just as the same as an emotional recovery or physical recovery, spiritual recovery is how we deal with the hard things. It's how we deal with the fear of not having enough money or not having anyone love us. If we are working a spiritual program, we can deal with anything, anything. And, you know, there's tons of self-help books out there and meditation and yoga, and we believe in all of that. But people in recovery, I don't think you'll meet one that isn't isn't going to talk about their spiritual program. Mm, yeah, and their contentment, it sounds like, too. Yes. Um, well, this has been encouraging, guys. I'm, um, I'm glad to hear that there's no light switch. You don't just throw it and you're fixed. You both make it no sound way. like a process. You also make it sound rewarding. You make it sound a little achievable, like get up and make the bed, accomplish that, feel good about the rigor and the schedule, Um, allow yourself an opportunity to imagine what it would be like on the other side, and then find a path to get there. And it sounds like people do. Uh, Last thing for each of you, John, what would you want our listeners to hear along these lines? I think for me, I 
I've said it a couple times. I think, you know, recovery, one of the biggest products of it is fulfillment and, you know, working with clients again, young, young adolescents who in, you know, three or four years reach out and will say, Mr. They call me Mr. T where I work, Mr. T, you know, um, I graduated college and I have a job that I'm making more money than I ever thought I could. And, and I'm reconnected to my family or, you know, I, I'm went into the Navy and I'm now a captain of a nuclear submarine. These are real stories. And, or even, you know, Mr. T, I got myself right. And my grandma was the most important person to me and she passed away a year ago, but I had four years that I wouldn't have had without recovery. You know, I think, you know, for me, you know, feeling a level of fulfillment through this work and through, you know, the journey that people have to go on is for me, probably the most rewarding thing I see, um, on the other side, the now what, (laughs) how about you, Shelly? No, that was nice, John. And I think for me, it's, you know, to pay attention to the simple pleasures, to pay attention to the fact that you can, uh, speak to your family, in a different way, in a way that's more respectful, to really embrace the one day at a time and and to know that you are enough and that no substance will do for you what you can't do for yourself. And it's so important to begin to embrace your own life and know that you don't have to do this alone. It's a we thing. So... Together, we recover. Hmm. That's well put, both of you. That's uh, Shelley Dutch, founding director of Connections Counseling. It's a division of Rosecrans. And we've also been visiting with John Tomino again, the unit coordinator at the Rosecrans Griffin Williamson Camp. This is On Your Radar, Living in Recovery a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Go to rosecrans.org or call 866-830-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting.